good morning. As the lights come on, uh, it's uh, good to be with you all this morning. I'm sorry, I know uh, my sweater is not as festive uh, as the crew earlier, but I mean, I'm not sure if you saw, but Josh's, uh, I mean, his, his sweater had a pouch. I mean, how do you compete with that? So. You just can't. But anyway, uh, anyway, uh, again, it's, it's, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, to kind of to kick off our time together, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, this little aphorism, an, an, old, an adage, a, a general expression that I'm sure uh, you're all familiar with. So here in a moment, uh, it's going to pop up on this screen here. And when it does, I want you to fill in the blank. It is better to than receive. Right? Say it one more, one more time with gusto. It is better to than receive. Yeah, excellent. A plus. Uh, gold star, thumbs up. Uh, I'm not really quite sure how we're going to, you know, like grade all that. But hey, you can take it. But hey, you guys did great. You guys did great. Well, well done this morning. Uh, now, there, this is something that you've probably all heard uh, at some point in your life. In fact, uh, can you remember the first time you actually heard this? I, I, I tried to as I was preparing for this week, and I'm sure uh, it was one of my parents or one of my grandparents that first taught me this, but, but it happened so long ago at such a young age that it just feels like I've always known this, right? And even if you've had no experience uh, or, or history with the church or the Christian faith, uh, you've heard this expression, which is a little ironic because it comes uh, from an oral tradition connected to Jesus, Right, it's specifically, it comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20. Uh, the Apostle Paul is quoted here saying this, uh, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. says, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak uh, by laboring like this and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, because he said it is more blessed to give than receive. Right, there it is, our, our little pearl of wisdom this morning. Paul here is quoting a saying that had been associated for a number of years with Jesus. Now, it all makes sense, uh, right, the, the, especially this time of year, to pull that pearl out, to, to dust it off, and to put it back into practice, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, all right? This is a truth that we want to sink deep into the hearts of the young people we're responsible for. Uh, I mean, you know, because we need something that, that helps break the mindset within every kid that says, you know, it's, it's my world, and you're all just living in it, right? We want them not simply to know this, right, but we want them to understand this, to like, to take hold of it and to kind of live this truth out, right? We want them to understand it in its proper context. In fact, quick story, when I was a, a student pastor, I remember an interaction that I had with a group of uh, sixth grade guys that were part of our ministry. Uh, it was December, it was right before our, our Christmas party, um, and as sixth grade guys do, they were playing video games. We were playing video games, I should say. Uh, we were playing Super Smash Brothers. And if you've never played this game, here's a quick synopsis. You, you basically, you pick your favorite uh, other video game character, and it's like King of the Hill. You kind of knock each other off platforms with different moves and items, and it's chaos, and it's awesome. It's, it's great. It's great. But, but anyway, these guys were playing this game. We were playing this game, and these guys were, they were doing battle, right? They were getting into it. Um, and after one round in particular, one of these guys, had he had narrowly lost. Like, he was so close to winning, uh, so close to beating me. That's what winning meant. Um, you know, not to brag, but I was pretty good back in the day. He narrowly lost, and, and, and out of frustration, he just he stood up and he sighed and he said, "You know, whoever said it's better to give than receive? I don't think they ever played video games, but they must have been very familiar with the pain of defeat." To his credit, he's not wrong. I mean, uh, Paul certainly didn't have access to a Nintendo in the first century, but. 
But in Paul's defense, I don't think that was the connection he was trying to make when he said this, when he was quoting Jesus. All right, but back, back to Christmas this year, Christmas 2023. Right, for all of us, with every new celebration, every new Christmas season, uh, it comes new practices, traditions, rhythms, and, and in some cases, even beliefs. And some of these new things we bring into our holiday celebration, some of them help us uh, to honor and commemorate and, and, and revel in this sacred story of a God coming to save us. But some of them uh, seek to supplant and distort and replace these stories with something of our own making. Right, each year, the, the Christmas season certainly for all of us contains familiar elements. Right, many of the same ornaments are on your tree again this year. Grandma made all the same cookies. But every year we're also, just as Christians, we have to contend with a world and a culture that continues to, to shift away from things that bring life. When we look back on the years, or for some of us, even the decades of Decembers, it becomes clear, right? Times change. People change. Culture certainly changes. And like Rob shared with us last week, sometimes it becomes so easy, especially this time of year, to just let go of hope. And so this year, we wanted to lean in and offer uh, some reflections around uh, the reasons for our confidence, the, the reason that we have hope in this Jesus. Uh, it's what the author of the book of Hebrews calls uh, the assurance of what we do not see. So last week, uh, Rob uh, unpacked this idea, that the, the, the hope that we have in Jesus, the, pre- the peace that Jesus brings, and how the world is now different because of it. So this morning, I, I want to unpack the first half of our theme. We're talking about this morning the gift of hope. All right, because for everything that has changed in the way that we celebrate Christmas, uh, gifts and giving uh, still are at the center of all of our ho- holiday festivities, right? And for good reason, right? It's part of the reason why Christmas remains a season of fascination and wonder and excitement, not just for kids, but for adults as well. Right, the joy of giving and receiving, uh, finding unique ways, whether they're simple or extravagant, of telling the people in our lives of their of their worth to us, of their value, to tell them of of our love and appreciation for them. Right, and there's something deep seated and and profound about that exchange. But but have you considered this before? That the delight and the satisfaction that we experience in giving and receiving actually tells us something about the God in whose image we are all made. And see, for some of us, this is, this is actually an invitation to start to see God a little differently. Perhaps you have this image of God as this old man in the clouds. Right, similar to another holiday spirit, uh, you know, in, in, in some respects. He's definitely keeping a list of who's right and wrong, but he's actually uh, a little more stingy, a little more callous. <coughs> Excuse me. One might even say exacting. Right, he's a little more Scrooge than St. Nick. And it's our responsibility to stay out of this God's way and to not get on his bad side. Or perhaps uh, you're the opposite end of the spectrum, that God is more than willing to give us what we want. It's just a matter of lining up the right words with the right requests and the right timing and ding, 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 jackpot. All right, the Christmas story actually invites all of us to set aside both of these views. 
And as we meditate and reflect on the gift of Jesus' arrival, uh, we recognize the the providential moment that we all have here and now as men and women captivated by Jesus, uh, captivated by the life we found in him to receive that gift, to receive Jesus as a gift, to take that gift into our souls and to be changed. First, uh, we recognize that to celebrate the gift, uh, we we realize that the gift, it actually necessitates a giver. See, in every context, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, a gift is always, first and foremost, a relational expression. Even if the giver and the receiver are unknown to each other, uh, neither of them would ever believe the process is random. As a church, we have this awesome opportunity this year. We're going to be able to send over 130 gifts into our community uh, and help help families to celebrate this season. Uh, Many of these gifts are going to kids. Now, when when a kid opens that gift, whether it be Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, uh, I can tell you what they won't be thinking. What they won't be thinking is, well, you know, I was thinking about this RC car, and wouldn't you know it, one happened to fall off a shelf, uh, get, get caught up in this, uh, this Santa and snowman-themed wrapping paper and tape, um, and, and, and somehow it found its way into somebody's car that found its way to my parents' car that found its way to our home and, and tumbled out under our tree. And man, how lucky am I? No, they're going to be thinking, wow, someone was thinking of me. See, a gift is always a personal expression. It's given with purpose and intention. And all throughout the scriptures, uh, authors writing under all sorts of divine inspiration have seen this, and they've, they've pointed out how this shows us something about God. They've applied these characteristics. Uh, we see a great ex- example of this in the Psalms. Right? In Psalm 36, uh, the author says this in verse 7. It says, how priceless your faithful love is, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They're filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. You know, what this shows us first and foremost is that God is the first constant and eternal giver. Right? God is the source God never stops, indeed never will stop, lavishing his gifts on his creation. Everything we see, everything we experience, everything we enjoy, our very life is God's gift to us. This is this straight from the, 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 the mouth of David, straight from the, word, in the words of David. God, in his love and abundance, safeguards us, fills us, and gives us life. This is picked up even in the New Testament, right? We see it, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says it this way. In James 1.17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down to us from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God gives, and he does not stop or change in his giving. Another disciple of Jesus, John, describes for us how this giving, God's giving, finds its truest and most complete expression in Jesus Christ. In his gospel, uh, John talks about how uh, a shift happened, a shift occurred in the way that God gives to his people. The one doing the giving, God himself became a gift. 
and gave himself to humanity, to you and I. The, the verse we read as we were taking communion, the, the word became flesh. That God became a human being. And why? In John 1 verse 12, he says this, For to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. See, in Jesus, the, the incredible truth that we all recognize is in Jesus, the gift and the giver become one. And this is the story of Christmas, the story of the first Christmas, the innermost message of the stories that we read in Matthew and Luke, uh, the beginning of those, the, those gospels, you know, we commonly call the birth narratives. You see, for me and my family uh, as well, Christmas is forever connected to the arrival of a child. I think to two years ago, uh, Christmas 2021 for Janice Knight was our first Christmas here in Dayton. And uh, we didn't know exactly what, uh, how everything would play out. Uh, but at that point, we were a little over two weeks away uh, from welcoming our daughter, Naomi. Now, I remember how that year, you know, it's our last Christmas when it's just the two of us. Like, everything just seemed to slow down. Right, we stayed home, as one does when your wife is 38 weeks pregnant. We had family come to us, but, but everything was marked with this, this anticipation, and everyone uh, was just looking forward to the time when we could, uh, we'd be able to receive the gift of this baby girl. <laughs> and, well, why do I share this? Well, because, see, when we read about the, the birth, the arrival of Jesus, no one, no one captures the heart of that gift, what it meant to the world and what it means to us now better than the families who welcomed two very exceptional baby boys. Uh, two? You say, oh, hold on. Um, that's right, two. Um, if you didn't, if you weren't familiar, like, so in Luke, uh, Luke, the telling of the Christmas story is actually this intertwined narrative of two babies that are born. Uh, one couple you're probably very familiar with, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, you know. Uh, but, but the reality is before anything that happened in the, what we include in our nativity scenes today, uh, Luke actually introduces us to this story by telling us about another couple with an important part to play. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah. So you can find this story at the beginning of Luke. That's where we're going to be spending a majority of our time uh, today in Luke 1. And so we were first introduced to Zechariah. Zechariah is a, a priest who worked in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and Elizabeth was also, we're told, is a descendant from a priestly family. And, and Luke tells us about them here in Luke 1, uh, verse 6. He tells us this. He says, both of, these, both of them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. That's kind of a, an, a strange detail to include at the beginning of the Christmas story, right? We're talking about, about two babies that will eventually come, and like, well, why does this matter? Why does this actually affect our story here? Well, see, Luke here is connecting the story of this couple to another ancient couple that was also unable to conceive. You see, the very first promise or covenant that God ever made with a human being uh, in connection to faith, in connection to trust, was given to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. Right? See, Luke here is telling us that God is about to, to make good on a very old promise. 
See, Abraham was the first person, the first human being to put his faith, his confidence in God. And God's promise to Abraham is that one day, through his offspring, he would be uh, the, the, the source of a blessing for the whole world. And here in Luke 1, the promise that, was first, that first convinced Abraham to put his trust in God, to put his hope in God, was now about to be fulfilled. So Zechariah is going about his work in the temple. He's tending to the sanctuary of the Lord, the innermost part, the most sacred part of the temple. And in the middle of his duties, he's surprised by a messenger, right? an angel from the Lord. And, and Zechariah, as, as happens when, when these things happen in uh, the scripture, Zechariah is terrified. Right? He's scared. As you may expect from one encountering a divine being, it's not a, it's not a normal thing. He's terrified. But check this out in Luke 1, verse 13. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many, children, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And, and then lean in right here in verse 17. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now see, this last part here that the angel tells Zechariah is actually the very last thing that God had ever said uh, through, the, through the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. If you look to the, la- the very last page of the Old Testament, you'll find the book of Malachi. And at the very last thing that God says to the prophet Malachi, right before we flip into this story, the birth of Jesus, is that there's one day there's going to come someone who is going to initiate the, what, what, he, what he called the day of the Lord. Right, and, and the marking of this coming Messiah would be this, that someone would come to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And so the angel here is telling Zechariah in no uncertain terms that God is fulfilling his covenant, that God is about to bring about salvation not only for the Jewish people, but he's going to make this available to all peoples. God here is now beginning the renewal and restoration of all things. And now Zechariah and his family are directly connected to that story. But Zechariah, being a human being just like all of us, gets caught up in the logistics of it all. So if you read this conversation between Zechariah and this angel, uh, he starts to question how this is all going to go about because, you know, his wife and him, they're not spring chickens. I mean, they haven't had kids for a long time. I mean, they know how this stuff works. Uh, But because of his lack of faith, the angel gets mad at Zechariah, and he actually says, you know what? Like, you can't talk anymore. He takes away his ability to speak. Right, so Zechariah comes out of the temple and people start to figure out, hey, something happened. Right, because have you ever come across a preacher, a preacher who wouldn't speak? Right, people trying to figure out what's going on. And, and, and then I love like, this, how this all plays out because when, when Elizabeth and Zechariah discover that they're pregnant, look at how Elizabeth responds. Right, she, she doesn't go bragging. She doesn't go like shutting down all the naysayers and like, I told you so, like God's got, no. What she, she, instead, she retreats. 
she secludes herself. It's her and her family, and she just has this private moment with God and offers up this simple prayer of thanksgiving. Luke 1, verse 25, this is what she says. She says, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And here's why I love this verse. I love this detail. Because even in the middle of this story, as God is working out the salvation of all peoples, he still moves to save and heal individual hearts. See, God is preparing a gift that is literally going to change the world. And within that, in his divine intention and purpose, his, his goodness moves to heal this broken heart. So, you know, the truth of the matter is that some of us in this room uh, can relate to where Elizabeth was coming from. Right, right now you feel forgotten by people certainly, but... Uh, that's, that's hard enough, but more so right now you feel forgotten by God. And if that's the place you find yourself this morning, I pray you would hear the voice of God through the scriptures, through this prayer of Elizabeth, the Lord has looked on me with favor. The Lord is moving to take away my disgrace. The Lord has done this for me. After this moment, we come uh, to a couple that we're probably, again, more familiar with at this point. In verse 26, in the sixth month, that is, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel uh, Gabriel was sent, to, sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. See, like Zechariah, Mary is surprised. She's, she is shocked at the, the appearance of this, di, this divine being. But, but her initial shock was nothing compared to the news the angel brought. Right in verse 30. It says, the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. See, John was coming to prepare the way. Jesus is now coming to complete the mission of God. There's a bit of a sticking point, right, that Mary has with the angel. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? All right, but, but notice Mary doesn't get punished, right, because this is not like Zechariah. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth were married. It's not uncommon for a husband and wife to have a kid, right? But this right here is a completely new category of events, right? Even though John is indeed a miracle, he came about the same way that you and I came about. But now we have a completely different way of approaching this. And how could this be? Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth, even uh, she has conceived a son in her old age. In this, her, the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing is impossible with God. 
See, God was doing something in Mary that had never been done before, that had never even uh, been conceived of before. God was bringing about the impossible. And not just in the physical pregnancy of Mary. Yes, a virgin becoming pregnant is a miracle, and we celebrate that miracle. But, but also keep in mind, in this pregnancy, God is fulfilling about 2,000 years of promises and prophecies to the Hebrew people. And not only is, are these promises, or is God fulfilling these promises, but God now, the eternal, unseen creator, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the one too glorious to be seen by his creation, that God is now becoming one of us in Jesus. The monogonos, theos, as, as John describes him in, in, in John 1, the unique God, the one and only God, is now exegenazo, is now revealed. It's where we get the word exegete. It means to draw out, to declare, to interpret. Uh, so John, Jesus hasn't, John is telling us that Jesus is now drawing out God into the open, placing God in his proper context plainly for all to see. And God is doing all of this through a baby boy. A, a, a baby born as frail and helpless as any one of us at first. And this is how the gift of God had entered our world. Right, as the fullness of what God was, was going to do through her son, as that starts to sink in for Mary, as she goes to see her cousin to make sense of everything that's going on in her life and her world, and everything that's going on in her family, she comes to this just emphatic moment of humility and worship. She begins to sing. In, in verse 46, she says this, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary says, who am I that God picked me? Right? Surely, all generations will call me blessed because of what God has done. Mary goes on to praise God for how unprecedented this whole thing was, how God was using everything and everyone uh, in ways that you would not expect to save the world, right? He wasn't doing this through the flashiest personalities, through the richest people, the smartest, most talented, or most self-competent. God instead is using this simple, humble, and faithful servant girl, these individuals to bring about the, the greatest gift we could ever receive. So after this encounter, we read about how John is born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. But there's, there's again, there's some tension in the way that John is born because, see, Elizabeth tells everyone that, his, that this baby boy is going to be named John, but everyone else is kind of confused because nobody in, in Zechariah's family, nobody in Elizabeth's family had ever been named John before. And, you know, these people, they treat names differently than you and I do. They mean something different, something more to this culture. And so, but Zechariah at this point, he can't speak. He hasn't read gained that ability. So he has someone bring him uh, something to write on. And Zechariah writes out of this baby boy, he says, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue freed, and he began to praise God. 
He made all of these declarations about who this baby would become. Uh, and there's some interesting ones to point out. Uh, at the end of this, this is what he says in Luke 1, uh, verse 76. He starts here, he says, And you, child, speaking of John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, right? To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. God doesn't just kick down the door and demand that we worship him. No, this is a gift, right? There is intention and there is purpose. This has been prepared for us. And what has been prepared, you ask? Well, knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin, right? The one problem that you and I cannot tackle on our own, the one problem we cannot overcome, God with intention and purpose has prepared a way for us to receive this. And why? Well, Zechariah tells us, because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Light has come down. In Jesus, light has come to deal with our darkness, to deal with our sin and our death, and to bring us to peace. The word became flesh. Why? Why? Like we saw earlier, remember this uh, from John 1 and verse 12. Why did Jesus come? So that all of us, all of us who did receive him, so that he, he gave us the right to become children of God. There it is again. Like our gift, our gift of hope. We do not remain strangers to God. We can become children. That's the gift, that's the promise that we receive this time of year. That's the promise that changes us to become like the one we love, the one we serve, and that's the promise that we celebrate when we gather together as the family of God. If, you, if you've never had a, a moment where you can receive that gift, receive that promise, please don't leave this morning without an opportunity to talk to somebody about that. To, to unpack who this gift was and how he changes everything. I'm going to pray, uh, and we're going to have a moment where we can then respond to this gift in, one more time uh, in worship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the gift of today for everything that this season, this time represents, this opportunity that we have as your family, as as children uh, in your kingdom to stop and and, and to uh, receive with fresh eyes and fresh hearts uh, the, the gift of this season, the gift of your son coming to us like one of us, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. God, for providing us the knowledge and and, and the way to salvation and peace. God, we are in awe. And may the way that we receive that gift demonstrate to you uh, the love that we have, the trust that we have, the confidence and the hope that we have in you. We love you, God. We trust you. 
And we pray all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior. Amen.